For Crystal Myth Podcast, and it's one of my favorite topics. It's Hammer Horror time. We're going to focus on Hammer Horror, the British, the British, well, I'd say British, I'd say English institution that is Hammer Horror because it is an English company. (laughs) Yeah, but it's a good one. Yeah, which is just good seeing how most, usually like US films kind of monopolize everything. So, yeah, I mean, Hammer Horror were at quite ahead of their time back in the 50s that's when they sort of started churning out movies i think they started with the the quatermass pit or dr quatermass which was a sci-fi horror thing i think it became a tv show and then it was a film i think hammer also did the first doctor who movie oh really peter cushion yeah because peter cushion was cast as doctor who which is really weird (laughs) anyway and then they moved into I think they're they're famous for their like because back in the fifties, like most movies were black and white, and Hammer were considered pioneering because they had their movies, their horror movies, in color, and they had like bright red Technicolor. So when they had like the the blood and the gore and stuff, it was quite bright and gory. So it used mm-hmm. to be quite scary for the nineteen fifties people <laughs> who've never seen that kind of blood and gore before. The added was like obviously well start of the seventies, but yeah, I thought like the blood work in it was really good, and some of the like killings in it were very visceral. Um, yeah, that's what yeah, I thought like special yeah. effects wise for when it was, I was I was impressed. Mm. Uh, the, so w- with Hammer Horror, we're the reason why we're doing this and Crystal Myth podcast because it's not we're not really a film or TV podcast, is that a lot of the Hammer Horror films were based on either historical people. Or um, mostly like horror. Like I think they were competing with you know the Universal horror monsters. So they started off with like Dracula, the werewolf, uh, the Wolfman, and Frankenstein. They did their own version of Frankenstein as well, and the Mummy. <laughs> Most of which were played by the wonderful Mister Christopher Lee, who I adore. Same um, my mum's like obsessed with them. Oh, it was my mum that your mum loves them. Oh God, yeah. I love mum. My mum introduced me. It was my mum that introduced me to Hammer Horror when I was like five. I don't know why she thought this was a good idea, but she did. She thought it would be a good idea to like let me watch at night, taste the blood of Dracula when I was five, <laughs> and see what I saw. Christopher Lee's Dracula, he's dark eyes oh blood blood red eyes he just he was just so sexy he was just so mysterious tall dark handsome really hot and i just absolutely fell in love with him like you, you wouldn't think that a five-year-old girl would want to fall off with that why you turned out the way you did Lizzie. i know i kick-started my love of all things vampires and gothic but i was so upset when he got killed all the time obviously they were going to kill him but i hated peter cushion so much because he was always van helsen and 
I just wanted so much for I used to fantasize about Christopher Lee coming to like bite my neck and stuff because I thought he was so romantic. <laughs> I think they <laughs> clearly do like um yeah the kind of like gothic beings well because the the one that I watched the like gothic being in it like I was exactly what it was so well acted and so well costumed and scripted that like so on side with her even though she was the monster that yeah anyone who was against her I now hate even though they're a fictional character yeah. that I only learned about like yesterday. <laughs> I've got like I've, I've got a beautiful print a black and white image of Christopher Lee as Dracula and he's just bitten Mina, who's played by uh, Barbara Shelley, who's in the movie I'm going to talk about, Rasputin, and she was cast in quite a few horror horror movies. And uh, yeah, she's just been bitten. You can see the blood trail going down her neck. It's just so sexy. And it's like a, a really nice print that I got at Comic Con. And it's from the first Dracula film, The Horror of Dracula. It's just lovely. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to be talking about the movie and then the sort of myth, the real myths behind it, like the true stories behind it. Like for you, what you're doing is it, they've put a twist on. But I'll let you. I'll let you take the stage, Mark. You explain. Yeah. So I looked at uh, Doctor Jekyll and Sister Hyde. Sister uh, Hyde. Yeah. <laughs> which I mean, just when I, I sort of read the list to you guys last week. Also, uh, listeners, you will notice that I've got a new microphone, so you'll be able to understand things I say this week, which will be a treat. And um, but when I read like to you guys last week, like I'd heard of the film before, but I'd never watched it, and I thought, I mean, name-wise, this is for me. So. It's one of two, I think, although Leslie, you'll probably know better than me because you are the, the Hammer Horror mistress. But, Meister, um, yeah. That <laughs> it's one of two Hammer Horror films, which I didn't realise until I started watching it, based on the legend of Jack the Ripper. Because obviously, oh. based on the name. Yeah, you would think it was well, I mean, So it combines aspects, as you were saying, that's why we're covering a mythology podcast. So it combines aspects of the myth of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde with yeah. true stories and mythology surrounding Jack the Ripper and also Burke and Hare. So it was a bit of a... Uh, was it, of was this one set Victorian times or was it more contemporary? Because I know that most of the Hammer Horror films are set in the sort of Victorian Gothic kind of era. It's, uh, it set in Victorian era and it was very high goth, especially the again villain slash but they often have the same sort of contemporary hairstyles of the era of the, the decade that it was made in well yeah so, to be fair yeah. most of the cast were very clearly dressed in victorian garb but had yeah kind of 70s hair and right. then it was just like this sexy 70s goth vamp yeah so, i love it <laughs> <laughs> it's so fun i mean the actress that played her was like absolutely chewing the scenery throughout, but I mean it was brilliant. Anyway, so uh, the, yeah, the <laughs> film was in seventy one, um, so it was shot through like late nineteen seventy, early seventy one. I think it was obviously at that period in time when instead of taking like a year to make a film, they took a couple of months. So yeah, they were often low budget, like <laughs> yeah, and it starred as the apparent protagonist, but again, I disagree. Um, <laughs> Bates, who was the guy who played the original Poldark, um, so he stars as Dr. Henry Jekyll. So again, and like the synopsis of the film, which I feel like the synopsis probably wasn't put out by Hammer, I think it's like put out now that it's on Amazon. So it says right. like, we meet Dr. Henry Jekyll, and I was like, mm, is he a hero? Right from the word go. But I think <laughs> Hammer's very good at that kind of everyone's creepy slash evil slash gothy. So... <laughs> Except for the one virgin in the film, which I think is that like a bit of a Hammer trope. Yeah, there's lots of 
like virginal women in the film that get seduced by the baddies usually and they're always running around in little diaphanous gowns and like i've always wanted to be a hammer girl in fact that's why i dressed up as one for my prom remember yes i mean uh, sister hyde's got a very what you wore to prom vibe going nice. on <laughs> so we start off the film and we meet Jekyll, who's supposed to be the the hero, and he's this brilliant scientist, and he's basically it's just him, one of his friends. He's a bit of a dick. His friend's a bit of a dick, and this like yeah, virginal girl they keep describing her as, but like women in, in her late twenties, mm. early who lives yeah. upstairs from him, um, who's dressed all in like baby blues and white, has bouncy blonde hair, and is very starry eyed, and so the, we're introduced. She is very busty. Yeah, I think that's also why I quite like busty women because I grew up watching Hammer Horror films and they were all very busty. I, I mean, both yeah, both <laughs> of the the female leads in it are well. There's three female leads. The two younger very busty, and then there's like the sort of patron that's in it. Basically, it starts. He's talking to her. She get like giddily skips upstairs to inform her matronly mother that she's in love. And then it cuts to him and his friend, and his friend's talking about how brilliant a scientist he is. And he's then saying to him, "Well, but he's worried that he'll." He'll pass away before he finishes his experiments. And Jekyll explains that he is basically um, working toward curing every known disease. And he's already cured several diseases, but it'll take him 50 years until he's cured them all. Oh. And his friend as well. You'll be dead in less than 50 years. Yeah, you live in Victorian times, you know, because yeah. that's that long, bitch. So he takes on board that he's like, well, this is a good, like, fair point. So then the film progresses, and as it goes on, he decides that based on the fact that women live longer than men and have stronger immune systems than men, means that the key to immortality lies not with men but with women. So he begins experimenting with female hormones. So both him and his mate seem to think this is perfectly acceptable. And (laughs) they're both obviously aware of how he's getting the hormones. Oh. Which is that he's going to, third male character of the film, also awful. So he goes to The Undertaker and is basically when The Undertaker's preparing bodies purchasing sort of like women's reproductive organs off of the undertaker but the undertaker is also implied to be like a necrophiliac so that's well, this where the jack the ripper thing comes in then because well so, out women's wombs wasn't he yeah. yeah so basically he he starts experimenting using these but he realizes they need to be fresher for it to work properly so if you all these experiments, he then contacts Burke and Hare, which is where they come in, the grave robbers, mm. and hears them to go out and murder sex workers and cut out, as you say, like slithers of their wounds. So he can with that. So that's where they are then basically effectively Burke and Hare or Jack the Ripper. So the first, you know, with the Jack oh, so the they're mashing everything together, basically, to yeah, create their own mythology. Well, because you know how there's the five official, like, ripper killings, and then there's the ones that preceded yeah. it, that escaped but died in hospital, and there's the woman that was, uh, like, really badly, she didn't have the usual, like, throat slit that goes with the ripper victim, she was just really badly stabbed, and then obviously had the womb injuries. So the implication of the film is that these first two are Burke and Hare. They carry out these, and they return those womb slithers to Jekyll. So with the first womb slither, he basically carries out an experiment on a fly. And it's fly. What, oh, this is bad? I mean, yeah, it's, it's all over the place. So, oh, like, before Cronenberg came up with the Brundle fly, yeah. Hammer Horror were there first. See what I mean? They're amazing. And ahead so of their fly, time. No, soon they're ahead of their time, right? Definitely. Yeah, they were covering everything. So this fly basically experiments on it, and it's one of those flies that only live for 24 hours. 
and he invites his again really annoying friend round to show him what's going on and he says well this fly has been alive for four days and they can normally live for 24 hours and he says he's on the brink of cracking the key to eternal life so again we're bringing in another another bit of mythology there <laughs> um, but what they notice is that the fly has changed gender or really his friends saying to him oh you kept saying he and a, a gifted scientist such as yourself should know what a female fly looks like and he says well the fly would be experiment. I didn't even think of flies as male or female. Well, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely not. But I thought flies fly were like maybe film. I thought flies were asexual and they just I'm I'm an idiot, I guess. You know what's I, when they're like mounted on top of each other. It's really gross. Is that what you like to do in your spare time? I don't think so. Have you ever seen fly shagging? <laughs> I'm thinking of, uh, yeah, I've seen little flies shagging, but I've not seen <laughs> <laughs> the bottle shag. <laughs> that was really the funniest thing. I don't know, it's not to measure the flies to see how big they were. I'm just going to shoot them off. It's a really niche porn uh, kink you've got there, Yaz, but okay. It's proper weird, like, you're holding it's two flies shagging. You're right, yeah, it's proper weird. And then if you shoot them, you're, like, disturbing them in the act. Do they fly off attached together? <laughs> I think so. I think about the surprise I remember. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> See, these films, they, they bring up a lot of interest in topics do. that I feel that needs to be discussed. A lot of important scientific discussions. Yeah. Yeah, on, on the point of uh, science. So, Jekyll then uses the second slither of a uh, womb that he has and he creates the a similar serum and he decides uh-huh. he's going to have to experiment on people. So he takes it in order to measure whether or not it makes him healthier. And not only does the experiment or the, the bit, it's like a, a sort of a drink, effectively, he makes, what's yeah. the word for that? Like a, a potion. A potion, thank you. An so he makes a potion uh-huh. and he drinks it and he finds that in test, not only has it made him healthier, but actually as it takes full effect, and I've taken this quote from the description of the film here, it also alters his personality. I would agree, makes him better. And turns him into a beautiful woman. I would also agree. She is like insanely stunning. So the the actress that he turns into, also the transformation again, special effects wise, was great. I thought it was going to be really corny, but it was actually quite <laughs> convincing but dramatic. How does it describe it? What basically starts sort of writhing around and then covers his face. But as he brings his hands up to his face, they've obviously shot it so you can't see her out of scene. So he has like one male hand and one female hand with like these big <laughs> pylon nails that covers his face. And then he crouches over and they've both got like long, really dark brown hair and all uh-huh. of the hair hands. And then they obviously just cut scene it so that when she sweeps the hair back, it's then her. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So yeah, he sweeps his hair back and he's now uh, the actress, Martine Beswick. Oh, yeah, she's in other films. Yeah, she's yeah. in the film. We're going to look at you. Actually. She was, yeah, so yeah, she I think she was a Bond girl. She played two different Bond girls. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think she played one before playing Sister Hyde and then one after playing Sister Hyde. Oh, okay. She's a Jamaican as well. Yeah, she's a uh, mixed race. Jamaican. Yeah. Her mum's half Jamaican, half Puerto Rican, and her dad was of like British descent, so yeah, she's absolutely stunning. So she <laughs> then <laughs> I suppose it's what you he doesn't freak out or anything. He obviously realizes that this is because it's the same thing that happened to the fly. So he takes off all of his clothes and <laughs> stands staring at himself in the mirror. And at this point, because he's forgot to lock his door, 
the virginal girl who lives upstairs brother has come to stay so he walks in and he's all like Victorian gentleman and like oh goodness sorry sorry and runs <laughs> out and then um, Dr. Jekyll starts laughing hysterically Jekyll then goes in after he's transformed back so the the serum eventually wears off and he goes and speaks to the brother and says oh I understand that you like disturbed my sister when she was changing and he's very apologetic and he says yes that's my sister Edwina uh, Edwina Hyde she's a widower and yeah, but don't worry, don't worry, it's it's fine, it's it's her fault, she didn't lock the door, so on, so on. So It's always speak, a woman's fault. <laughs> it's, not, it's entirely her fault. So he then goes back to his lab and he realises that he wants to keep taking this formula, he wants to be Edwina Hyde, because then he'll be able to have four times the normal lifespan of a human being, and it will give him all this time to finish his work. He's still a scientific genius. It doesn't matter if he's a man or a woman, which, you know, feel like very forward thinking for the 70s. He thinks, well, I need regular doses of female hormones to try and track down a third sex worker. However, when they're trying to track her down, the police are alerted and they then become unable to continue to supply him with the, he keeps saying the hormones, but again, it is mm. like slithers of womb. Right. Uh, hormones that he needs uh, because when they're being trapped by the police, they then get chased by a group of um, like London villagers. Yeah. Uh, Burke is caught by them and beaten to death, and they throw lime in Hare's eyes, which again is a very gory scene, so that uh, he's blinded, so he's not able to carry out his... Oh, okay. Yeah. His body snatching. Yeah. How, when they throw the lime in his eyes, does his face melt, or is it like blood? Is it like bloody eyes? What, how, I love the hammer horror. It's like kind of or bubbling powdery skin. Yeah, like bubbling powdery skin and eyes, and it's, yeah. yeah, it's horrible. So <laughs> then we get our next like very graphic bit because Jekyll, again in a way that kind of implies we're supposed to feel sorry for him, realizes that there's no way for him to continue his experiments unless he turns to killing women himself. So he goes and he carries out the third ripper killing or the first definite ripper killing. So again, this is why it changes. So he dresses the way that Burke and Hare wear in the traditional Jack the Ripper garb, so with the hat and the mutton chops and the <laughs> long coat. And he goes and he, but he, he basically is having like a monologue uh-huh. where he's saying to no one, but I can't, I can't kill someone who doesn't deserve to be killed and he's wandering the streets. And then basically these two sailors are having an argument with a sex worker and are saying, well, you haven't, like, we're not paying you for this again. Um, like everybody knows you're one of the worst ones in the town. Like you're a horrible woman, you're a horrible woman. <laughs> the worst and they throw him off. And he's like, Of course. So he decides he's going to kill her. Based <laughs> on Taylor calls her horrible, which I'm like, is that a justified killing? No, um, not. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the skankiest whore I can find at this moment in time? That's fine, we'll just kill her. She also seems really nice. He asked if you can go back to her flat and she's just having a general chat with him and telling her appearance. And then he pulls out his blade, and then it's the traditional ripper killing. So the way Jack the Ripper was believed to kill people, so he slits her throat, and then once she's bled out, he cuts into, as you said, like her abdomen, and he removes the slit. Uh, of her Again, the demonstration while he's doing this that he hates what he's doing, which is strange because he seems, you know, to be still continuing to do it. Um, so if he doesn't like doing it, I thought maybe he should stop. But okay. So he makes up another vat of the potion, takes it, he continues with his work. As it starts, he turns into Edwina, and Edwina is speaking to both of the neighbours. She ends up sort of starting to have a fling with the virginal girl's brother. Which I find really weird, because why would he switch his sex... Well, I don't know, but you'd think that he would still fancy women. 
considering I but don't then, know. But I hate that as although the the upstairs neighbor that's all virginal seems to be like gushing over him, he really yeah. does yeah. care. But then when oh. the brother is trying to hit on Edwina, she scared. clearly really likes him. And then there's a bit where he goes for a walk, she goes for a walk, so Sister Hyde goes for a walk, and doesn't realise that the potions actually run up or like run out. Oh, so she turns back into yeah. or yeah, he they they mm-hmm. is easier. They turn back yeah, into he... Dr. Jekyll. And then Dr. Jekyll sees the male neighbour that he's obviously now having a relationship with in the street, and he like walks up and caresses his face, and the male neighbor's like, Man, what are you doing? And he <laughs> realizes that obviously he's he's switched back into male form and he's devastated and he rushes back and he makes so he makes an it basically goes, he murders another sex worker, makes an even stronger version of the formula. But this time when he takes the stronger version of the formula, Edwina starts to totally dissociate from Dr. Jekyll. So she basically starts to form her own personality and have her own thoughts. And then this one again, she's implied to be the monster, but actually all she really seems to do when she takes over the body is like mix herself cocktails. She makes a really nice red uh, <laughs> dress out of a curtain. Um, she goes and does a bit of shopping. Uh, she cuts to the virginal neighbour, who she obviously can't be bothered with. And she goes on a couple of dates with the uh, brother. But again, this then starts to run out. And as it starts to run out, the same thing happens. So her hand starts to shift back to being male. And at this point, Dr. Jekyll's best friend, uh, Robertson, who's the guy that I said I don't particularly like. He's an arsehole. Yeah, so he shows up. And he basically sort of starts to realise what's going on and that she might be the killer. So she, again, this is a very good killing. She picks up like a massive blade and jams it through the back of his head. So it comes out the bridge of his nose. And there's blood like gushing out his face. Yeah. (laughs) And it'll be like bright red. Sounds like she just wants a nice little life and they won't leave her alone. Yeah. I think that's your thought because I've actually written in my notes. By this point in the film, I mentioned to Leslie and Yas that uh, I love this trans icon. (laughs) <laughs> I'm here for her and I'm here for her plan so. <laughs> do you know what I think though why can't he just if he can crack the formula why can't he just replicate that same formula why does he have to get a fresh piece of womb every time can he not just like distill whatever that is and make shitloads of it or does it have maybe it has an expiry date I don't know well this is where I would argue that Adrena is actually more intelligent than him so uh-huh. like he goes out he kills again Another sex worker uses, again, her womb to change himself back into Dina. And then this takes us to the five victims. So basically, we have the other two killings, same sort of thing, uh-huh. right? but same, like, slit throat, part of the womb removed. Edwina realises that she basically has to keep killing. So she looks into his experiments because she thinks, I don't want to kill anyone else. And she realises, now this is the bit that slightly confuses me, but again, I think is like a, a massive hammer horror trope. She realises that she needs the full womb of a virgin. And ah. if she's flat, then she will remain as Edwina forever. Nice. So when she does this... The, like Jekyll's I really want her to succeed, but I just know she won't. So Jekyll's personality starts fighting with hers. And oh, trying to take no. She's kind of shifting back And she realises that obviously the only virginal person she knows is... So she invites Susan down for tea and basically has a conversation with her. But she's like, Susan, if you knew that there was a way for a lot of people to be saved, and Susan's very sort of ditzy and giggly and is like, oh, I don't know quite what you mean. And she says, well, if you knew that, let's say there was a either a huge vessel with thousands of people on it had to sink or a dinghy with one person, 
and you had to choose. And it's a good point. Susan says, well, you should sink the dinghy. And then Edwina says, well, what if it was for medical advancement? What if you knew you could save millions, but you had to kill one? And Susan says, well, of course you should kill one. So Edwina then pulls out her knife to remove Susan's womb. And Susan flees into the darkness. And Edwina follows her with her like raven hair blowing behind her and her red fantastic dress. <laughs> so yeah, they've got the like you said, the hammer traditional yeah. outfit. So she's fleeing in her white and light blue bosom hugging outfit. Yeah. <laughs> but as she starts to be chased, as she's chasing her down, basically like Jekyll is fighting to take over the body. So it's slowly kind of switching back between Jekyll and Edwina and Jekyll and Edwina. And she follows Susan out onto uh window ledge and Susan's clinging to get away from her and Jekyll takes back over the body fully but realises that Edwina is stronger than him so he basically pushes himself backwards off the ledge and then as the the body is halfway in between changing from him to Edwina so it's kind of this like between sex mm-hmm. work monster it smashes to the ground from the rooftop and, and sadly she dies which I was gutted about <sighs> <laughs> So, yeah, like, so that bitch basically didn't sacrifice herself so that everyone could be cured of cancer. What kind Yeah, so basically, like, <laughs> Adrena and Howard, the two good characters in the film, could have been together. Though. Susan had to be all shy. And after she said, yeah, it's fine to kill one person, then yeah. one, oh, it didn't mean me. I meant anyone else. I think she actually thought that... Um, Selfish cow. Because Stel had realised, obviously, they were the same person. So I think she thought that it, it, it was implying that Adina should allow Jekyll to kill her to save uh-huh. things. And then when it turned out she meant Susan, Susan was like, oh, no, not me. I meant you. Oh, God, that's, that's bad. Oh, that, see, this is what... I love Hammer Horror films, but I always end up really sad at the end because they always kill off the best characters who and they know fine well this the yeah, best characters absolutely brilliant what? like yeah, one exactly. of my favorite characters ever in a film mm-hmm. but yeah i mean so firstly i give the film 10 out of 10 and then, um, i want to watch it now i think i've only seen clips of it i've seen i think i've seen bits of the transformation scene but then I might be having false memories because I remember getting a, a book out of the library, which was awesome. It was just like um, every single Hammer Horror film and it, that was written about and described. And that was one of them that had quite a lot in it. Not just both of you, anyone listening, just everyone. Everyone should watch it. It's great. So where um, can we find it? You're if you want to watch this film. You can get it on Amazon. It's is it actually on Amazon? Yeah. Like for free? Uh, no, you have to pay for it. Oh, was it like one pound or something? I think it was like Two pound. one pound. It was something mm-hmm. daft, like one pound seventy-five or one pound forty-nine or something like that. It worth it. Oh yeah, I mean, it was very much worth it. Like I really, really liked it. And obviously, like the as you said, they can do the sort of mythology breakdown at the end. But there's a lot in there. So there's your bark and hair, and they obviously there's a whole conversation in it where before when Hyde basically realizes that they're killing sex workers, and he says, you know, I thought that you were robbing graves, but this is just abysmal. And they're basically <laughs> saying but you said that you needed fresh wounds, so we can't get fresh <laughs> wounds from corpses. There's Again, I think it lines up really well with the Jack the Ripper killings. Mm. There's all, like, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde inspiration. But I really liked that, again, it was really Dr. Jekyll that was the monster because he was doing the monstrous things. Mm-hmm. Rena was really just trying to... Stop it? Yeah, like, kind of, like, she wanted to be alive so that her and Howard could be together and... <sighs> So run sad. off into the sunset and she didn't really want to kill Susan although Susan was awful like she was absolutely insipid but she didn't really want to kill her <laughs> <laughs> would that not be a bit 
Sorry, yes. <laughs> just schizophrenic in this like elixir thing was just bringing it out. But he actually just had a really bad mental illness. A psychological side of um, the film, yeah. The I don't know. I kind of felt like maybe Edwina was the real him because again, like with the Susan's advances, he was just completely ignoring her, and she was like, "Oh, dear, I brought you tea." <laughs> I think bosoms. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's what confused me because obviously, like back then, it was forbidden to be a homosexual. So yeah. technically, by him becoming a woman, is him becoming himself, and he gets to have his prince essentially without repercussions. But it was like, yeah, when he was Adrena, he could like, yeah, have Howard, and they could be together. And because I thought be- you were going to say when he seen him as a man that he was repulsed, but the fact that he touched his face, compressed his cheek and that, that really touched my heart. <laughs> yeah, it was a beautiful love story. For 1971, that's quite progressive. I thought it was going to be really more of an exploitive. As well, that mm-hmm. Because of the way, even yeah, in the 70s, like people thought about people that were sex workers, and mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting that Edwina's sort of view of, oh, it's wrong to kill this woman, but if I kill this one woman, I get to survive, Howard and I get to be happy, and I can cure all of these people, Otherwise, if I leave it to yeah. what was already going on, then all of these sex workers have to die in order to cure these people. And yeah, and it's just life. Mm. sort of valuing all lives equally, but then still saying, well, you know, a thousand lives, well, one life, but it's better to sacrifice one life and save a thousand lives rather mm. than when he was Jekyll, his view seemed to be kind of, oh, well, it's okay to, like, I don't want to kill them, but it's okay to kill them because they're like prostitutes, basically. Yeah, that's a bit wrong. Yeah, it's like saying that oh, because you're a sex worker, you're you, you're not really because you're sinful or whatever. Then it's it's fair game to kill them because. Right. See, with Jack the Ripper, did he not kill them because not that we ever asked him or anything? That because, <laughs> like no one would miss them. It was kind of assumed that you know they didn't have families or anything, so no one would ever ask about them or look for. Oh well, yeah, because they were seen as the lowest of the low. Yes, right? uh-huh. just hers. And I think that was the implication that um, Dr. Jekyll was coming to because he didn't see them as important. Actually, there's another bit in the film that I really liked where uh, when Edwina is Edwina and she's out walking at night and there's like she goes to where the sort of uh, people working as sex workers are, where the crime's taking place and one of the women is kind of walking back to her hostel and she says, oh, will I escort you? And they're basically like walking along arm in arm having Aww. a chat about everything that's been going on. And I thought, she deserves to be alive much more than he does. Although, again, I kind of thought it's not so much that. It's like she is the real him. Like, mm-hmm. he would like it to be this, like, beautiful woman. And, well, a much better scientist. And that was the thing I was going to say. I thought it was quite interesting. I was looking at kind of other critical opinions of it in line. And I read this thing by this woman, Jess Day, who's an equalities campaigner. And she said that it's one of her favourite films. And she thinks it's a really important film because it shows women to be smarter yeah. Healthier and much more capable of dominance than men. Uh, and that was a rarity in the 1970s. So. Oh, very much so. Because when we, you think back to the 1970s, I mean, remember we were talking about those confessions films where women were just seen as sex objects and, yeah. whoa, look at that bit of skirt and all that shit. That's what the 70s were. Um, have you seen Soylent Green? Mm. We're in that no, actually. <laughs> You've not. You should, it's I know it's. Very, I know what it's about. But I've never seen it. Oh, it's a very fucked up culty film as well. But yeah. in that, when you when you buy a flat, you get furniture with the flat. But the flat, but the furniture, one of its furniture is a woman because she's part of the furniture. <laughs> it's like what the fuck. Hold on. Yeah. An actual woman. 
Yeah. Like, what, alive? Yeah. She just has to be a chair? No, she, you you do whatever you want to do with that Oh, right, so she comes with the flat as something you can play with, basically. Fucking hell. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Much bulk. Oh, my God. (laughs) What if you don't like her? Can you swap her for something else? I don't know. (laughs) Maybe you can. But I'd want someone. I'd want a woman to look like Sam Hayek. I don't think she's meant for you though, because you're also a woman. So I don't think you get to choose. So, I, so wait, is it just men that get these? Or yeah. wait, yeah. so if you're a woman and you move into a flat, it's not like you get like a sexy man. Well, you would have moved in with a man. You have no value in your own right. Oh, jeez, so not really. Right, I don't. I wish that was making me mad. No, you should watch. It's very fucked up. Okay. But it's um, it's kind of one of these films like when if the whole world was to go to shit, that's kind of yeah a future that could happen. It's always shit in the future, isn't it? It's never paradise. No. I'm just yeah. going to see before we um yeah move along on to because I think it would make sense for us to look at Yazzie's film next because yeah. like yeah. he's in that film. Plays a part in that, but mm-hmm. I'm trying to see if I can get a picture of Edwina and Howard together just so you can see how cute they are. Cute. I've googled it and there don't seem to be any pictures of the two of them together oh, coming. I kind of want to watch the film now. Like I swear, half the time you were talking, I was just listening away to like what's happening. Like you were telling the story. She's still alive, Martin. I found uh, I've not found a picture of them together, but I found a hilarious image of a. Uh, I was describing earlier when her walks in, and <laughs> and Edwina's just randomly standing naked. I greatly enjoy his expression here. Hold on, I'm just going to screenshot it and forward it to both of you. Okay, I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Um, but yeah, like she's also in. Um, she's in Thunderball. I like that. Oh. The Bond girl. Yeah, she's. What's the one I was thinking of? Very like a Russian. Oh, yeah, she's in Six Million Dollar Man as well. Oh. Remember watching that as well? He looks like he's literally never seen a naked woman before in his entire life. Probably hasn't. Probably yeah, hasn't, like, yeah. Weather, like, cheer or scream. Like, does genuinely look horrified, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, right, he does Jeff. Like, he's like, oh my god, boobs. <laughs> he doesn't he's know what to do. Pants. <laughs> oh my god. And he doesn't know what it means. He's never dressed in his pants in his life before. I'm also going to send you a picture of her in the dress that she made out of cartons, just so you can see how amazing it seems. Yeah, yeah. The sound of music, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I loved it when, um, <laughs> especially when he asked her out on a date, but she's wearing uh, Dr. Jekyll's like, sort of house coat and realising she has nothing to wear. So she just walks into the sort of master bedroom and tears down this red silk curtain. I mean, there's nothing wrong with wearing a jacket. I suppose maybe back in Victorian okay. times it probably wouldn't. Ooh. Spectacular she's hot. <laughs> <laughs> and she's got a very power stance, isn't she? With she the way really she's does. sitting she's sitting in the middle of this Chesterfield lever sofa, right in the middle, very dominant, with her arms like either side of her. Um, across the back of the sofa and her legs crossed, very powerful. Love I like it. Well, that yeah, he was very like when before she Edwina when she was still Doctor yeah. Jekyll. He's very although he's the one out murdering people and so on. He's very like mousy and jittery, and then yeah, he becomes her, and she's just so powerful and sexy and kind of like a lioness. <sighs> Women. Which makes sense to be his like alter ego that that's who he wants to be. Yeah. Yeah. Super fierce. Yeah. Okay, well, speaking of super fierce women, let's talk about your film, Hammer so, Horror. So, 
It's a good one. When I was looking at uh, Hammer films, I realised that the only one I've ever seen is One Million Years BC. I think it was like years and years, properly years ago. I still love this film. Like, yeah, I used to watch it as a kid, but I've not uh, seen it since. Mm. Yeah, it was always on telly all the time. I thought yeah. it was like, brilliant. And like Mark was saying, I think it was so like ahead of its time. I mean, this was made back in 1966. And I was like watching clips of it thinking, oh, I bet like, the special effects were like absolutely crap. But <laughs> they're not. Like they're actually quite good for something that's like what now? Eight years old, which is no six no, years. Eight years old. <laughs> <laughs> Something like eight hundred years old. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the whole story is I'll say one million years ago, um, when obviously people and dinosaurs lived together at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> like obviously, to me, it seemed like one of these films where it's like if you were to go through like uh, a museum or something that had all the old shit in it from like ages ago and they just put it all together in one film so you've got like like people loads of different dinosaurs that were also not alive at the same time um loads of different weird creatures different types of humans all come together at the same time maybe Uh, you could think of it as it's not really earth it's just like another dimension or something like a different universe where humans and dinosaurs live together that's a reason yeah primitive kind of old world Mm -hmm. yeah actually you can link it that way. So yeah, like for anyone that's not seen it, like the way the film starts is you've got one tribe who's like the rock tribe, rock tribe, and they're all dark-haired, really dirty, kind of very like what you'd see as being like proper cavemen. Right. Uh, and then there's like the two brothers in it. They're having a fight, and like the chief of the tribe chucks one of the cavemen out to Mac. So he's like the, the guy in the film. Then he gets kicked out. He's like I think at that time there wasn't a lot of people around in general. There was just no. A couple of little tribes here and there who weren't really aware of each other as well. So he was like exiled from his tribe. Yeah, uh-huh. so he's exiled. Uh-huh. When he get exiled, and this is one of the scenes that I remember so much that he basically then, because he's out now by himself having to fend for himself, he has to fight a wild boar, uh, a giant iguana, and a massive tarantula. <laughs> I remember the giant iguana bit. Yeah, I don't remember him. I don't know why, but yeah, I haven't watched it since I was wee either, but as soon as you said that's what you were doing, that was the first image that popped yeah. into my head. Was it actually just a real iguana that they'd yes. maybe made to look like out of scale? Yeah, and I think that's why it probably looked really good, because they weren't yeah. using CGI, they weren't using special effects, they literally used a big fuck-off massive like, iguana image. It was just a normal iguana and a normal yeah. iguana, but blown <laughs> up on the screen, it's obviously moving in a normal way that this creature would move. Ah, so it's not like stop motion, so then it looks all jetty. Yeah, I get you. The of the film was, Mm. uh, I think the guy that did the illustrations, I think he was not the first person, but one of the first people to proper do stop motion properly. Mm -hmm. And I was, sorry, what's the guy's name? Is Um, it Harryhausen? Is it Ray Harryhausen? Yeah, so he's one of the original kind of people. Yeah, he's very famous. There's an exhibition about Ray Harryhausen just now in Edinburgh, in the oh. Museum of Scotland, where you can see all these little props, because he did Medusa, he did famously did Medusa oh, and Clash yeah. of Titans, and he yeah. also there's a scene in Jason and the Argonauts where he fights skeletons. That's a really famous scene. He yeah. did all of that, so yeah, he's like the master of stop motion. Yeah, which kind of what I mean about like even though it's stop motion, it's I think really it's good. amazing mm-hmm. even till now. So yeah, I think most of it like there's it's got like pictures of because there's a t-rex in it later on and <laughs> like a pterodactyl that's the only bit that i remember yeah is this a pterodactyl scene um where i think it picks up one of the women and yeah. puts it in its nest yeah, he oh, yeah. It, and he's trying he's 
because it's like a bird essentially so it picks yeah. up this worm which is a person and tries to chuck it to her babies but then ah. she falls into the ocean right um, but okay. so all that was stop start but his animation is just amazing like it looks also not real real but it looks very realistic um it looks absolutely amazing so yeah parts of it were done by animation parts were just actual animals so yeah they had chancellor iguana and the part i always remember is that they had a big massive turtle as well and that <laughs> they literally just used a turtle and had it moving around the sand and because there's all these scenes where they have to fight these animals but this turtle is like freaking humongous in the film but what's yeah. the actual storyline because i can't remember yeah so he gets exiled from his tribe he then has to fight these big massive animals and he's like running for his life and he's pretty much dying now and he's like Aww. there's this other tribe now he's kind of sunburned and dying he's on a beach and then this other tribe find him but the girl that finds him is uh Luana the fair one who is basically the star of the whole show um, was that Raquel Welsh yeah exactly I think that's the film that pretty much made her career um, yeah there was a famous poster of her in a for a bikini that was on yeah. the Shawshank redemption yeah it was indeed like yeah. that poster i think she looks freaking amazing in it oh like, she does yeah, yeah. what a also, yeah. <laughs> and also that's what cave women looked like like yeah for a bikini <laughs> <laughs> all perfectly groomed no hair on yeah. them it's on her legs blow dried hair perfectly waxed legs and everything like just <laughs> stepped out of a like a salon or something and she's blonde and she comes from a, like a blonde tribe so his tribe was all like dark haired and kind of dirty because they seem to be quite like uncivilized whereas like she saves them takes them back to her tribe and like sort of nurses them back to health but her tribe they're all like blonde clean and more like civilized so they have things like paintings on the wall and they have jewelry and like music and singing so he kind of wakes up and he's a bit like the hell is this everything yeah everything's like really weird to him because they don't even bathe where these guys are like clean and pretty and stuff (laughs) the alien race (laughs) there's a lot of kind of underlying like yeah Yeah. that's a bit dodgy yep don't worry dirty brown man these lovely blonde people will save you yeah (laughs) and they are obviously the superior race being all like pretty and blonde and perfect yeah Um, (laughs) But yeah, so uh, what happens after that? So yeah, she he, she nurses them back to health. Then they start to get they get attacked by a Tyrannosaurus Rex, and all those wee villagers don't seem to be as good as fighting, and they're all like scared and stuff. So he's now got his strength back, and he gets a spear and he kills the Tyrannosaurus oh. or Allosaurus. So he kind of saves them, and, and there's a wee or something in the way, and he saves the child and stuff as well. So he kind of becomes this hero. But then hey. he to go get the spear that he killed the tyrannus with but that spear belonged to like the chief of the village so oh. then he gets really pissed off because he's trying to steal the spear so then he gets like picked out again he gets exiled from this tribe but she goes with him because she's like oh i'm loving shit then he goes back to his original <laughs> wait did he take her with him to his she, original tribe she ah. goes with him she like he doesn't take her she leaves to go with him because ah. she's like calls him she falls for him because he's all strong and kills the dinosaur and stuff. Um, <laughs> he's a um, alpha male type. I don't know how controversial this is. Like when white girls go out with black guys just to piss off their dad, kind of. Uh, right, yeah. <laughs> God, the bad boy, let's just say. Basically, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he, they go back to his original tribe, but he's got his old mate, or whatever you'd call there, and that's, what's her face? 
Oh, so she because she's got dark hair and she's yeah, she has Martin Beswick. So she's Mm. his old mate. So then these two basically have a fight over him. Have a bitch fight over him. Yeah, (laughs) basically. Yeah, and apparently this is one of like the sexiest scenes in the film with these two women like in bikinis, bikinis, like biting each other on the beach. Apparently, when they were filming this, they were going to get like stunt doubles for them, but they were like, no, no, we want to do this ourselves. So they did their own fighting on the scene, and then. The tribes are attacked again, and that's when she gets taken by the pterodactyl. Who? Which one? The blonde? The blonde one, yeah. Right, okay. The pterodactyl. The main guy, he gets really pissed off again. Or not pissed off, he's really scared because he's in love with her. He tries to go off and save her, and then there is a big like earthquake or something. And actually, it's not an earthquake. An earthquake and a volcano erupts. So basically, everything kind of goes to shit at that point. Most people die. A lot of people like, fall into the... Like where oh. they kind of it breaks open but then with the people that are left over from both the tribes they then kind of have to all join up together because there's not a lot of them left so like yeah and the sort of fate, yeah. like disaster the people have to come together to yeah. survive yeah. yeah so it's kind of got a sad but happy kind of ending really does martine survive or does she get killed well she survives okay. yay <laughs> I was hoping you'd say that because I thought she would maybe fell down a hole or something, you know. I oh, know, she survives. I think all the main people survive. Um, I feel like the message of that film is like, there's no such thing as a superior race. Everybody should. Yeah. yeah. It's just they're both kind of different. If you yeah. mix cultures, you become stronger. Yeah. yeah. But um, I like that all the women in this as well are quite badass. Like in the blonde tribe, the women are doing all the food hunting and stuff and they're the ones... Men are lazy bastards. Yeah, pretty much, obviously. Good embroidery. Uh, <laughs> they're the ones sitting at home painting the walls and like. <laughs> uh, but then in the, the like the dark tribe, they're all overly kind of cavemen. You know, they're like fucking each other and stuff. <laughs> but they still have women as well, but they are more sinful. No, as I mean, like, are they just like you know, like grab <laughs> yeah. a woman by the hair and just take her kind of thing? Their furniture, basically. Yeah. Mm. But I didn't actually realise this, but it was this film that was released for the US. They had to cut about eight minutes of it out. Oh. Um, and basically those eight minutes were just things, I guess, make it less violent for the American audience. God's sake. I, don't know, I was like, oh, okay. I mean, I don't remember. I that. think with a lot of Hammer Horror films, because they're so graphic, that, yeah, a lot of them did get cut in America. I don't know how well i mean that one obviously i think did well in america i think but i don't think the rest of the hammer horror films really translated over to the u.s i think it's more of a a a british thing yeah this film didn't really have talking in it Mm -hmm. yeah um, yeah american listeners please messages and tell us what your thoughts are on yeah yeah american listeners if you watched any hammer horror films are you? Do you know of them? Have you what? Have you? Are you fans? Or what are your opinions? Yeah, Thanks. I noticed on that note that we got uh, two messages from fans this week. Hi, fans. Really? Yeah. Um, just general comments on the podcast, but in fact, do you know what? Will, will I read both of them? Yeah, please. Grant. I didn't notice that. From <laughs> 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 my shame. <laughs> I'm still trying to check my inbox, and there's no fucking emails in them. Remember Crystal Myth at Crystal Myth Podcast at mail.com. So that's M A I L dot com. Maybe they're getting it wrong. I don't know. Maybe they're sending it. Maybe it's my accent. Right, okay. 
We need to set up a website, I think. That would be easier if I set up a website and then there's there could be a comment page there and we can put show notes in. But I need to figure out how to do that. I'm yeah, not really good at building. No, because not everyone has Facebook. That's oh. the thing. If you've got a website, then anyone can access it. You don't have to sign up. You can just check yeah. it out. I think I'll do that. I'm sure BuzzFeed gave you a free... Well, Mark was in charge with Instagram and he should have left it. Yeah, I've spatched that. <laughs> I can do that if you want. Actually. Really? Would yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that. well, I think we're you're gonna have to set up a new. Wait, Mark, you're gonna have to close that Instagram, and then Yaz can set up a new one. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Right. Okay. 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 I think I literally about two people the Instagram. I set up anyway, so that'll be fine. But it's <laughs> I think anyone will be too upset. Okay, well, I'll maybe still look into getting a website, but anyway, we're getting distracted here. Okay, you're going to cut all that out, aren't you, Leslie? That's fine. No, I'll keep some of it. No, we want to try and spread the word. Uh, I mean, I'm not out for fame or anything. I just want people to enjoy the podcast and I want people to interact. Like, I just generally want to hear what people think, you know. But I love doing this with you guys. Like, it's just, oh. yeah, it's fun. <laughs> okay, so anything else about one million BC? Any other thoughts? Uh, what? Like there were scenes that like when they're fighting the animals, like it is a little bit brutal. Mm-hmm. Or like when they're killing the warthog, they basically like bash it with a rock and they keep bashing it and they're like cutting it open with the rock. So a lot of that's cut out the US one. Right. Um, so yeah, there's lots of kind of yucky scenes like that that are which I don't know if like I don't know if I'm a messed up child then, but I don't remember that being that gruesome when I was a child. So well, that's the thing. Like we we watched these kind of movies as children. I mean, we're children of the eighties, so I think that was more of a regular thing. Like we were traumatized enough with loads of kids dying in quicksand. What was that all about? Oh my god! In the never-ending story, like oh my god, that not just that, everything else. There was yeah. loads of quicksand. Like apparently, the quicksand was a problem back then. <laughs> but I've never. Yeah, I used to fear that if I was walking along the beach or something, that I would end up like walking into quicksand and then that would be me dead. But apparently it's not a thing. It doesn't exist. Does it not? No. Oh my God, I've lived my entire life thinking that's real. Yeah. <laughs> like, generally, like, a little bit traumatised by it. Like, Do you know there was a scene in the Jungle Book film, you know, the Disney one, where one of them fell into some sort of bog and he sank and it was like quicksand? So that was quite traumatizing. No, we when we think about all the like in the eighties, all the like like the nuclear fallout films like Fred's, that was quite horrible. And then there was like the one that traumatized to this day I don't like irons because there was like all these public information films about how don't iron around your child unattended. And then yeah, and then the you see the iron and it it sort of looks like it's hitting a child but it's actually a doll. But for me, when I was watching that as a kid, I genuinely thought that that was an iron melting in a baby's head. Oh, God. Because that's what it looked I like. I thought that too. I yeah. just like oh. this second, which is why I sounded very confused. <laughs> I did not know that. Oh, God. And then there's oh, the kids God. touching all the... You know how you used to have, like, power stations nearby you, your house? Well, there was one yeah. that came out. And yeah. there was, like, videos of kids touching that and then like, dramatically exploding. And Did they get electrocuted? I'm generally till now think that if you touch like even the gates around them that you'd like, like yeah. <laughs> and they had that sign with like the uh, like, the kid getting hit by a lightning bolt dying. So you don't get electrocuted if you touch it. Yeah. Oh my god. 
And then there was that spooky sign at Strathclyde Park, which I don't know if it's still there, but they should be for the amount of drownings that have happened this summer, of, of a, like a hand coming out of um, some water. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, actually. There's a lot, you get that a lot with lakes where there's like the hand coming out as if like you're going to drown if you go yeah. into it. I don't think it's that deep, really. I don't know. Yeah, but it's not just that. There's been loads of kids that have been drowning in lochs this summer because of the heat and they're jumping in and they don't realise how cold it is and yeah. that can stop you breathing underwater. Like, Or no, it makes you take in water because you're like, <gasps> with the cold, like it's like a reflex. Yeah, um, and cool. they don't realise how deep the lochs are or there could be riptides yeah. and, and it's not salt water. So there's no, it's not as much buoyancy either. So you've, you've got more chance of sinking. Oh God, that's horrible. Yeah. Oh, back to Hammer Horror. <laughs> that's a point is that like that's probably why we're a bit desensitized to that kind of shit yeah. because we've seen a lot of that crap, or maybe just British like our parents were a bit weird and thought it was okay. I mean, they let me watch Child's Play at five. I mean, Chucky. I, I don't know. I'm not allowed to watch anything past nine o'clock because that's when the watershed was in. So mm-hmm. obviously, we shouldn't be able to watch anything. But the X-Files always started at 9 o'clock. That was the only oh. thing I was allowed to watch after 9 o'clock. And I like Your mum's cool. She loves the X-Files and stuff, doesn't she? Yeah. Quantum Yeah. <laughs> we, were, we were all a bit of a weird family. We're very, like, a trekkie family. So we'd watch Star Trek after dinner and watch, like, Quantum yeah, My Leap. family did that as well. Like, I think we're quite alike, apart yes. from, like, obviously cultural things. But, like... No, we're really alike. Um, like my parent, my parents let me watch Hammer. In fact, I remember when my sister used to call a uh, Clash of the Titans that another Ray Harryhausen film, the scary movie. Really, but we put it on on VHS or something. We taped it, and it was the one with the the big giant Poseidon guy and the yeah. Kraken. Yeah, I used to watch that. Oh, that's... That's... And we used to call it the scary movie. Really. <laughs> But I don't think, I think our parents just thought it was okay. Like, maybe because the, the kind of stuff that they watched as kids were fine, so they thought it was fine for us. Like, yeah, I don't know. Eastern, though. So, like, it was Hammer Horror, though, was a bit odd. I don't think that, yeah, it's probably not appropriate to let kids watch Hammer Horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> I think <laughs> as long as there wasn't, like, sex scenes in it, then you were fine. So, people getting beaten up or shot or, like, you know, <laughs> having a blade pushed through the back of their head coming out the bridge <laughs> of their nose. <laughs> yeah. You can kill anyone you want, but no kissing and no sex. That's fine. Or you can run through the woods in a see-through gown. That's all right. Yeah, that's <laughs> fine as well. Especially if there's a monster that's going to kill you at the end of it. Also absolutely fine. Lesbianism in horror horror films as well, with the vampire lovers. and. <laughs> I think I need to watch more of these films. Cause oh, you need to. Vampire old. Circus is an excellent one. I re- really recommend that. Mm. Yeah. Oh, okay. What are you talking about? Vampire Circus. I think that oh, was the one. Yeah, yeah, well, sorry, I forgot. <laughs> uh, but it was, it's quite different from a vampire movie and Hammer Horrors because normally the, the Hammer Horror vampire movies usually have like your vampires who live in a castle, they're usually aristocratic, and then you've got your Van Helsing types or your, in the case of the Twins of Evil, you've got your sort of witch hunter guy who's a vampire hunter as well for some reason. He goes around burning witches, but he also kills vampires, mainly yeah, women. Like the vampire slayer who just kills anything evil, really. But they don't think about the vampires' lives. You know, they've got lives of their own, they're people too, but no, you just have to stake them because it, the Lord doesn't... I don't know, they're, they're children of Satan or some shit because it's set in Victorian times or witch hunting times. But vampire circus is different because... 
okay, it is set in old timey days, but it's sort of like a band of vampires. Like you don't normally usually there is just one that turns a few, like a man turning women. But this one's like a mixture of them all, and they've got jobs in a circus. Hmm. So I've, I think I think they're more sympathetic vampires in this film as well. Yeah. And, and I, I just like it. It's just a really good film. But again, I hate the people who try and kill them because it's just like, well, leave them alone. They're just trying to do their are job they, in the circus. Are they eating? I think those same people would uh, kill Ludwina if they met her. Yeah. I'm really biased towards the vampires. I mean, come on. <laughs> of course I'd say that. I'm never on the side of Van Helsing. No. Vampires have rights. Are they, you know, you're saying like more sympathetic vampires, but are they still eating people and like drinking? Well, yeah, them? they have to live. I mean, obviously they what, have. Are they, are they drinking blood and just drinking a wee bit, or are they actually killing people? I can't remember. I think they obviously have the, circle, the circus to get people in so that they can feed off them, but I don't know if they outright kill them. Mm-hmm. I can't remember, but I do. It's a good film. I definitely recommend watching it. Um, there's very pretty actors in it as well. I remember think watching it, thinking, well, one of the he would make a really nice like Armand's and like the Vampire Chronicles with Anne Rice. I thought, oh, he'd look a really. And nice. what I was thinking of, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> that it kind of matches yeah. being in the uh-huh. nice right, Well, I'm gonna move on to the film. I find well, I remember watching again as a child, Rasputin, which is based on a real person. It stars Christopher Lee. A man as the quite. I mean, I wouldn't say that I would ever fancy Rasputin, but I definitely fancy this one because it's Christopher Lee that's playing him. Huh. He's beautiful. So the film is called Rasputin, the Mad Monk. Now it's not the first ever film that they've made about that's been that had been made about Rasputin, which I find really interesting because I think the first film was in 1932 and it was also called Rasputin, the Mad Monk. And what's interesting about that is that the person who killed in real life Rasputin was a prince and he sued that film because obviously he was still alive. Like, it wasn't that long. Rasputin was killed in 1917, so not much time had passed since his death when they made the film because they implied in the movie that his wife was banging Rasputin. <laughs> he didn't like that, obviously, so he had it. he sued them. So Hammer didn't want the same thing to happen because this guy was still alive at the time it was made in 1966 and they called it Rasputin the Mad Monk and it was directed by Don Sharp and starred Christopher Lee as Grigori Rasputin. It also featured Barbara Shelley uh, that she's like a Hammer Horror regular. Plot is, in the Russian countryside, Rasputin fuels the set. It starts off where you see him in uh like a peasant he basically was a peasant anyway he was born into a peasant family you basically see him saving the life of an innkeeper's daughter where the scene is where they cut between Rasputin's face and his hands over the woman's face and then the innkeeper is hugely grateful doesn't seem too bothered when Rasputin holds a party gets through four bottles of wine and dances with his daughter because they make out that Rasputin is a sex mad sort of hungry monk I'll, I'll tell you what I'll, I'll tell you about the film and then I'll tell you about the real Rasputin okay he saves this woman's life this uh, this man's daughter he then pisses off the orthodox church in Russia because he's like going about banging everyone and drinking and being all hedonistic <laughs> so so what happens is that he gets he gets taken before the church and basically chastised for his sexual immorality and violence. The innkeeper springs to his defence, saying, look, he's actually good, he saved my daughter. 
Rasputin protests that he's sexually immoral because he likes to give God sins worth forgiving. So this is based on the real Rasputin's rumoured connection to a sect in Russia called Kleiste, uh, which was an obscure Christian sect, which believed that those deliberately committing fornication, then repenting bitterly, would be closer to God. But there's no evidence that he was actually connected to that cult at all in real life. I don't know why, but that seemed very straightforward, but took like quite a lot of my brain power to compute. <laughs> so wait, I'm saying that. I probably should shorten the way I'm explaining this. I tend to waffle on. So no, he'd I, also, think I think it's oh, just my okay. brain. <laughs> so what he's saying there is that in the movie, basically, movie Rasputin, played by Christopher Lee, he's saying that the reason why it looks like um, to you that I'm sexually immoral is like because I'm just a sinner. But I want to sin because then the more I sin the more I will beg forgiveness from God, therefore I'm closer to God sort of thing. That I don't know if that makes any sense. fucked up way makes sense, but it's kind of taking the piss as well. Yeah, maybe it's just like trying to get God's attention all the time, you know? Yeah. Like, forgive me, forgive me, that sort of thing. Hi, look at me, I'm banging someone. <laughs> oh, forgive me, you know? I think that's what they're trying to come across. So he has more reason to talk to God and ask for forgiveness. Yeah, so that he's got a closer relationship with God, but... Anyway, so he also claims to have healing powers in his hands and is unperturbed by the bishop's accusation that his power comes from Satan. So the church thinks that because he can heal people that he's satanic, it can't be a good thing. Does he believe it comes from Satan or do they think it comes from Satan? They thought it came from Satan, but Rasputin believed that he was a holy man and that his healing powers came from God. But obviously the Russian Orthodox Church didn't agree with that. Mm Mm-hmm. So Rasputin then heads for St. Petersburg, where he forces his way into the home of a man called Dr. Zargo, which sounds quite suspiciously like Dr. Zhivago, which is a film that was made in the same time frame in the 60s, from where he begins his campaign to gain influence over the Tsarina. Funnily enough, the Tsar of Russia is never seen in this film for some reason. He manipulates one of the Tsarina's ladies-in-waiting called Sonia, who's played by Barbara Shelley whom he uses to satisfy his voracious sexual appetite and gain access to the Serena. He places her in a trance and commands her to cause an apparent accident that will injure the Tsar's young heir, Alexei, so that Rasputin can be called to court to heal him. After this success, he hypnotises the Tsarina to replace her existing doctor with Sargo. And this Sargo guy was struck off previously for some scandal, which we don't know about. But Rasputin's ruthless pursuit of wealth and prestige and increasing control over the royal household attracts opposition. Sonia's brother, Peter, enraged by Rasputin's seduction of his sister, enlists the help of Ivan. Now, Ivan is based on the, he's supposed to be the prince in real life, but they changed his name to Ivan so that they wouldn't get sued. Oh, I was going to say I wonder why, but I suppose if you're saying because it's obviously like basically the same time period, pretty much. Yeah, because this guy's still alive. (laughs) So they changed this guy's name to Ivan, right? So um, Peter in Challenging the Monk is horribly scarred by acid thrown in his face. So similar to what you said, like in uh, Sister Hyde, there is a scene where a man's face melts because he gets acid thrown in it, basically. So that's your hammer horror gore. And then he suffers a lingering death, tricking Rasputin into thinking his sister Vanessa is interested in him. Ivan arranges a supposed meeting. However, Zargo has poisoned the wine and chocolates, which the monk starts to consume. 
Soon Rasputin collapses, but the poison is not enough to kill him. In the ensuing struggle between the three men, Zargo is stabbed by Rasputin and quickly dies. Ivan manages to throw Rasputin out of the window to his death. Quite a memorable scene, but unfortunately it got cut, um, which I'll go into in a bit. So with the production of it, it was filmed back to back in 1965 with Dracula, Prince of Darkness. So they used the same sets. (laughs) And you can tell... So, like, where he gets thrown out the window into the ice is the same set of Dracula, Prince of Darkness, where Dracula is on a bit of ice and slips and falls. So there's lots of similar, like, sets and stuff. Because you can, for somewhere, like, the opulence of, um, like, the Tsar in Russia, like, in the 1900s, they couldn't afford (laughs) to, like, build big sets like that. So I think that's Um, why they used footage. Oh, sorry, yes. No, no, I was yeah. say, I think they do that in a lot of those films, like from stuff mm-hmm. that I was reading. So in yeah. 1 million BC, the, a lot of the outfits and stuff from the caves, they used that in, it was another film called Prehistoric Women, and they had like slave girls in there, and they used the same bikinis and outfits and all the, the cave furniture, yeah. they used it for that as well. I mean, it so makes I sense. The, yeah. So I think back then, those films cost them a lot of money. Yeah, um, I mean they were they weren't they weren't, they weren't a massive they weren't a massive studio. It's yeah. not like they were a big American studio where they've got like loads of money behind them. They basically yeah, had to reset like recycle sets and things. I, I don't know. I think I mean even today like you know where a lot of costume dramas that a lot of mm. the like dresses say from like films like Sense and Sensibility get recycled into like period dramas on TV or from Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. They just rework them, and you'll often see the same dresses and different, or same outfits in different movies if you're quite observant. Yeah, I suppose. I don't like I sit and watch films and like look at. No, that yeah, I don't. Feel. Like I know some people do, but oh, my boyfriend does all the time. He notices the slightest little details or changes, or like my mum can tell what time it is on someone's watch in a scene where I don't pay attention to any of that. No, I'm um, oh. like I wouldn't pick up on anything like that. No. Like the ones when you're watching like a period drama and they'd be like, oh, they're wearing like an, uh, a watch. They wouldn't have had them back then. And you're like, I don't care. Just let me watch the story. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like if I was watching a period drama and they were wearing like an actual digital watch or something. I probably would. <laughs> yeah. oh. So in this film, it was a third collaboration between Christopher Lee and Don Sharp, the director, following the devil ship pirates in the face of Fu Manchu. He also played Fu Manchu, Christopher Lee. Uh, Lee later said the only way that you can present him as in Rasputin is the way he was historically described. He was a lecher and a drunk and definitely had healing powers. So Christopher Lee believed he had healing powers. He said Ooh. definitely, which I don't know if there's yeah, like that on the list. Facts like we know he was lecherous, we know he was drunk, we know obviously healed people. That's the main. <laughs> so he was a saint and a sinner. There were very. Very few good sides to him. Rasputin is one of the best things I've done. So oh. he thinks it's one of the best characters he's done. He hated, I think, eventually resented playing Dracula. Um, also, another film that um, Christopher Lee is really proud of is Wicker Man, which is an excellent film. Oh, I've uh, watched the original. I've only watched the insane remake. Oh, oh for fuck's sake, Mark, watch the original. Come on, that <laughs> remake is ridiculous. Is he offended? <laughs> I'm really offended by that. 
It's nothing compared to the original. The original's amazing. Honestly, you need to watch it. It's so good. Filming started on the 8th of June. The budget was cut during filming, causing a loss of several key scenes. They actually used to represent the Russian palace scenes from the film Anastasia. <laughs> they sort of like... Because you can see the actress from Anastasia in that scene. I don't know how you got to that. I think it would say uh, Ingrid Bergman. Yeah. I also really like that idea. Like if we were making our own like small budget film and we went in holiday and part of it and we just like green screened ourselves onto how Stella got She's like, ignore young Angela Bassett in the background. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I mean, we could do that. It's so much easier to do that kind of thing now. But yeah, uh, the original, a lot of scenes that were cut. So, oh, yeah, it was Prince Yusupov. That's the guy that killed like Rasputin in real life. His lawyers threatened Hammer shortly before filming was to commence, necessitating a last minute rewriting of the script. So they had to change like the name and serve some scenes. So a scene of Sonia's suicide was filmed, but not shown. The original ending had the lifeless Rasputin lying on the ice with his hands held up to his forehead in benediction. However, it was considered controversial for religious reasons, so it was removed. Stills of the original ending still exist, which I'm going to have a look at. Sharp says the final fight scene between Francis Matthews and Christopher Lee was greatly cut by Tony Keyes when Sharp had to leave the film during editing. Sharp had greatly enjoyed the experience of making his first two Hammer films, Kiss the Vampire and Devil Ship Pirates. Not here to that one, I'm actually check that one out. But not Rasputin. However, he did feel the film was one of the best things Chris Lee's ever done. Interestingly, as a child in the 1920s, Lee had actually met Rasputin's killer, Felix Yusupov, and he also met, in the 70s, he met Rasputin's daughter, Maria, who said to him that although he didn't look exactly like Rasputin, he had his expression. I don't know whether that's a compliment or not. Christopher Lee is such an amazing guy. Like He came from an aristocratic family, Italian family, his mother was beautiful, like some sort of opera singer, I think, from an, I think, like a rich family in Italy that goes way back. And he was like a spy in the World War Two, and he was just like such a badass. Like he was more James Bond than James Bond. That's the point. He, he knew all these amazing people. Like he met Rasputin's killer. He was a personal friend of of Tolkien, like the Lord of the Rings writer. That's why he's yeah. Because he really wanted to be Gandalf when he was cat when they were casting the film, uh, Peter Jackson film, but then they cast him as the evil wizard Saruman instead. But like Christopher Lee knew everything about Tolkien; he was a massive super fan. Whereas uh, <laughs> Peter McKell, it was like Ian McKellen said, like he would take the piss and he'd be like, "Oh God, these are all nerds, and I know nothing about. I've even read the books, and you got cast as <laughs> Gandalf." <laughs> said he would wind up Christopher Lee all the time about that. I think it was just really cool that he actually met the people as a child and then ended up playing. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. That's, yeah that's, that's really cool. Really, really cool. So the real story of Rasputin compared to the movie is that, like, in the movie you don't see that Rasputin actually has, like, a wife and children and stuff. Like, because obviously Christopher Lee met Rasputin's daughter. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't... He, he was sort of interested. Rasputin was born in 1869. He was born in as a peasant. So in Russia, it's very, like, when the monarchy was still around, it was very, like, how do you describe very it? Very bureaucratic, wasn't it? Very, so like, it was, it was very, like, if you were a peasant, then you're a peasant. You're basically yeah. serfs. 
and you're not allowed to go out of that, you, you can't get yourself yeah. out of serfdom, you're basically a slave to the, the royal family. Yeah. Sort of thing, the aristocrats. Christy of Russia, really. Yeah. So peasants were like the lowest of the low, and you you stayed a peasant basically, and then there was an aristocracy. So um, there was like a seri- like class system there. He was named for Saint Gregory of Nyssa, whose feast was celebrated on the tenth of January. There's not a lot of information about Rasputin's parents, but they were just peasants, I suppose. As a child, he was very interested in like religion, and he travelled about when he was young, looking into different like spiritual stuff <laughs> but then he met a peasant girl named Praskovia Dubrovnia in 1886 and after a courtship of several months they married in February 1887 and they just remained throughout Rasputin like she married she was still married to him for the whole time but then eventually like she had like kids with him and stuff like that but then he, he, he got back into religion and just left her but she still, like, adored him, <laughs> devoted. <laughs> she was devoted to him until his death, even though he fucked about. Well, he had seven children. Devoted from uh, Greece in my head, but I'm mm. assuming she probably... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they had seven children, although only three survived to adulthood. So there was Dimitri in 1895, Maria in 1898, and Varvara in 1900. In 1897, Rasputin developed a renewed interest in religion and left um, his wife to go on a pilgrimage. His reasons are unclear. According to some sources, Rasputin left the village to escape punishment for his role in a horse theft. There's loads of rumours about Rasputin, basically. Yeah, they said he was a thief and a criminal and stuff like that, because I think that was the aristocracy trying to, after his death, there was a lot of stories about him, about how bad he was and how much of a horrible person he was, and he fucked around and he shagged all these women and stuff like that. Basically, I don't think he was as bad as all that. I think he just tried to, like... Basically, a black mark on his reputation, yeah. So I'm just going to skip a lot of stuff, right, because it's quite a long story, but, like, the gist of it is, with the real Rasputin, the myth is that people thought he had mystical powers. Well, Christopher Lee certainly did. (laughs) So he was born in Western Siberia. He turned to religion early in his life. Even as a child, rumours along the local populace were that Rasputin had certain mystical gifts, despite marrying and several children. Rasputin abandoned family life in search of orthodox Christian religious devotion and piety. Following the years of wandering and religious teaching, Rasputin ended up in St. Petersburg, the seat of royal power. Through various connections, Rasputin became, to, became known to Tsar Nicholas and his wife, Tsarina Alexandra, because she was desperate to find a cure for their ailing son's haemophilia. One night they called upon Rasputin. After his session with the young boy, the bleeding seemed to stop for some time. Some historians, such as Pierre Gilliard, have speculated that the bleeding lightly stopped as a result of Rasputin's insistence on disallowing the administration of aspirin, which was known as a blood-thinning agent. And yeah. not any mystical powers he may have had, which mm. I believe to be the case, I think. And Tsarina was amazed, so immediately enlisted the services of Rasputin as a close advisor. Now, the Tsarina Alexandria was originally from Germany, and she was like, they're all related to Queen Victoria in some way, they're all cousins. And uh, she, or granddaughters or whatever, she married into the Russian family, and she genuinely believed that Rasputin had these mystical powers. So he ended up being like, close to her and her advisor um, because she was desperate for her boy to survive like she basically yeah. he was the only heir to the phone she had all daughters and he yeah. was the only son the youngest obviously had this I think they have these blood diseases because of all the inbreeding in the royal family so okay. <laughs> that's why that happens 
Makes sense. Yeah, so if he had the slightest bump or accident, then he would start hemorrhaging inside, which is why in the film, in the film, he basically gets into the Zarina's influence because he like gets that Sonia to cause him to have an accident so he could then go in and swoop in and heal him. The other myth is that he was a sexual deviant and the Queen's lover. So obviously because he was hanging around the Zarina all the time, people assumed that she was banging him as well. And he was supposed to be really sexually mesmerised. Like, he had, like, hypnotic eyes. So they do that in the film where he uses his eyes to sort of, like, hypnotise women and seduce them that way. <laughs> like, there's a scene that I watched where Bart, like, the Sonia, she comes in and she kneels before him because he's staring at her. And then all of a sudden he slaps her and he goes, make me some tea and dinner, woman. <laughs> and she's like, I am not a peasant. She didn't want to be dominated, clearly. Yeah, but he didn't know she was an aristocrat by that time. I, th- I, I don't know. She says something like, I'm not a peasant. I am the lady in waiting to the Zarina. And then he changes his tune and he goes, yes, you're a beautiful woman. And he says to the doctor guy, go out and get us some nice wine and fruits just so we can get him out of the room. And then he starts seducing her and she gets all like hot and bothered. And then all of a sudden he's taking her dress off and she's like lying under a bed naked. And he comes towards her and then you just see this shot of him like pulling the sheet up and throwing it towards the camera. So it blacks out. I guess he's going to bang her then. So that's like why he was seen as like a sexual deviant um, and quite, uh, what's the word? Charismatic and... yeah. Yeah, a lot of women just want. Specifically, a lot of women did actually um, travel a long way just to to make love to the rest of you. <laughs> I don't know why. Maybe they thought they were going to get like, like, huh? Like you get the whole like people that are so charismatic that they're just attractive thing, but it's weird mm-hmm. that they would never met and would travel to. Yeah, I don't know. He just looks like a smelly hobo to me. With his long hair and he just looks like he stinks. Like you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if it was Christopher Lee, I would definitely not say no to that. But um, the real Rasputin, (laughs) thanks. Um, So the tales of Rasputin's sexual exploits began to spread early into his time with the royal court. As his eccentric behaviour, like drinking heavily and visiting brothels, was seen to clash with his religious piety. He's more like a cult leader, I think, than anything, you know what I mean? According Actually, yeah, to yeah, him being a cult leader, I think he's more like if it like a modern day like the equivalent would be like an L. Ron Hubbard or uh, Jim Jones type, you know, yeah. uh, or what's that other guy, Davidson's that got burnt Waco guy, him. Oh, what is his name? Kresh, David Kresh, that guy. Yeah. yeah, it's probably more like that. According to some historians who believe Rasputin may have been a member of or at least influenced by the Kleist religious sect, such sinful behaviour brought him closer to God. However, while he did frequently entertain in salons, there is no evidence to suggest that Rasputin was a sex-crazed maniac who had a secret affair with Russia's queen. Much like the rest of his life, his behaviour in this realm has been exaggerated and following the February Revolution of 1917 embellished by his enemies in attempts to propagandise his life, which I think is more... more yeah. The case, yeah. Myth number three is that he was Russia's secret ruler, or he was <laughs> Russia's sex machine or something. What was that pony? I really episode? thought you were going to say Russia's greatest love machine. <laughs> yeah, like Russia's greatest love machine. It wasn't <laughs> how he carried on. <laughs> I mean, come on, what what guy is ever like? Not a lot of people have like a song by Boney M about them, so he's got that to be proud of. True, because Boney it's. Was- of us as a song, it's very yeah. rare. 
I think he'd quite like to be seen as um, Russia's greatest love machine. <laughs> I mean, <sorry. laughs> Because of his constant presence in the royal court, whispers grew that Rasputin was acting as a puppet master over the royal couple. Alexandra's growing dependence on Rasputin and his apparent healing abilities with her haemophiliac son only exasperated the rumours. Occasionally, the monk did offer military advice as well as medical help, but his ideas never proved beneficial for the Russian army or Tsar Nicholas personally. In fact, after Tsar Nicholas took personal control over his armies on August 23rd, 1915, under the advice of Rasputin and the Tsarina Alexandra, the Tsar became the target of the blame for Russia's battlefield defeats. Meanwhile, with the Tsar away fighting, a vacuum of leadership was filled by the Tsarina. Here, the myth does approach truth. Though the Tsarina was in charge, Rasputin did wield great power as her advisor. Well, while her husband's away, he's going to play. The mystic healer wasted no time in appointing his own church ministers and other public officials. Now, this is the most interesting one. This is why um, the the scene that sticks in my mind the most about the film, which is the best part, is the end. Because they make out that he's so, like, powerful or, like, weird that he's impossible to kill. Like, that's how powerful he is. So Rasputin's behaviour and influence came to symbolise everything negative in Russian politics and society at the time. Even prior to his final assassination, other attempts on his life were made. In June of 1914, a beggar woman stabbed the monk in the stomach, claiming he was seducing the innocent, which he probably was. Rasputin made a full recovery, even though he had lost a lot of blood and was close to death after the incident. Two years later, a group of nobles led by a man named Prince Felix Yusupov plotted to get rid of the holy man once and for all. On this December 30th, 1916, Yusupov invited Rasputin to dine at his home. After a heavy meal, complete with wine and dessert, all supposedly laced with poison, which was cyanide they put in it, the men looked on as amazingly Rasputin showed no symptoms that the poison was having an effect on him. The men proceeded to shoot Rasputin, who, according to legend, still drew breath after a barrage of bullets and only died after he was thrown into an ice-cold river to drown. However, while Rasputin's death was in fact plotted by Yusupov and other nobles, autopsy reports show that no poison was found in Rasputin's system and he seems to have died from a single bullet to the head. There is a picture of his corpse where you can see the bullet hole. And finally, that the myth was that he rose from the dead. Now, this isn't in the film because it ends with him just out, falling out a window and lying in some ice, which yeah, is disappointing. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> but afterwards, like the tale of his murder, the aftermath of Rasputin's death has been mythologised. So according to legend, after Rasputin's poisoned and shot body was thrown into the ice-cold river, he was fished out by a group of passers-by, like kids, who found that he was still alive when they dragged his body to the shore of the river. However, the truth is that after Rasputin's already deceased corpse was thrown into the Malayanethka River, it took days for the police to find the body because the water had already frozen in the sub-zero Russian winter. They actually found his, he was, he was, uh, his, one of his feet was sticking out of the ice. So he was like, I suppose the ice sort of preserved his body in a way. Because, yeah. you know, it's cold and he's like frozen. He's like a frozen dead cor- corpse popsicle with his foot sticking out. And that's how they found him. But some people claimed that there was water in his lungs and he that he had like he maybe tried to he was still alive in the river because there's um, people said that that he had marks that wouldn't have been there before that he tried to swim out but then he died because the ice froze him before he could get out of the water. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, I always thought until you explained this properly to me just now that there had been like 
about you know one death attempts, but yeah, I'm guessing they didn't actually poison him. Mm-hmm. Shot him in the head and then threw his dead body in the river. Because in the movie, they get him with like cyanide laced chocolates, and you see him um, eating the chocolates and the cakes. At first, he didn't want to eat it, but then eventually did, and then he drinks the wine, poison wine. Like he's like he can't believe that he's not <laughs> dead immediately. But they do imply that something happened to him because in the movie you see him like crawling along the ground, kind of creepily. Like overly drunk, or maybe he had like a bit of a date rape, rape type drug in the foods. And then no, he's on the water, and then he just couldn't really. Maybe, or maybe they just exaggerated the whole thing to make it sound like he was. But why would they do that? I don't know. As if, as if he was some sort of actually did have mystical powers that. Yeah, surely the Russian royal family look worse if they were like he was just some yeah. random. I mean, they did whatever he said. Like, yeah, I mean, if you say like, "Oh, we would just shot him in the head and threw him in the river," then that just makes them sound like like just an ordinary guy. But they've actually like elevated him to some sort of like super being <laughs> that's hard to kill, like kind of like a vampire, I suppose. I don't know. On March fifteenth, nineteen seventeen, Tsar Nicholas II abdicated the Russian throne as a result of the February Revolution. The following year, Bolsheviks eliminated the last. Bit, um, they basically murdered all the Romanov dynasty by killing them all. Myths about Rasputin endured, and underneath those myths there does reside some truth. Several historians have speculated that Rasputin's influence did indeed play a role in the contempt for the royal household and everything it came to represent. It shows that mythology can take a life of its own and grow to become more important than the truth. But he did take down the royal family. I think he was partly responsible for that, because a lot of people thought, why the fuck is this guy being a puppet? Like, basically using the royal family like a puppet. And it's probably inspired... Well, he was a peasant as well. Like, maybe this didn't just inspire people to go, oh, fuck these people. You know, a bit like Marie Antoinette. Yeah. Like, fucking using this this reprobate. Why should he rule over us? And then they probably thought, well, why should we put up with shit the royal family have done? Plus, they've failed in World War One, so fuck them and fuck the royal family. I wish more people would do that over here. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> family in Russia not, like ripped apart during the war like well war i'm just thinking of like anastasia well i mean he's, rasputin is a baddie in the car i hate that card that fucking dreamworks yeah. animation where rasputin's like they he has actually like they make him out to be some sort of mad sorcerer with yeah. like you know eyes and he's got magic powers like ridiculous magic yeah. powers but in that, they more, I'm, like, this is where i'm like really ignorant about history right. but like it was more that it was the war itself that kind of destroyed family. Well, that's what I'm saying because, like, yeah. it was it was part of that because Rasputin, while the Tsar had a disaster with his like military side of things, like yeah. he kept losing, um, and a lot of men died, and he spent so much money, and it was wasted. And while he was away playing soldiers, his wife was there with Rasputin, and they just assumed that she was banging him, and then he was like she was just concentrating not on the people but on her son and and with Rasputin and they blamed it all on her mm. rather and obviously the czar as well when he came back so that just didn't help matters so yeah they rose up against them because they were starving as well they weren't they just realized that like why are these people living in luxury and we've got nothing so that's what the, the sort of rise of Marxism and communism and stuff started. And then they, they basically, it's a bit, I suppose it, it's a similar thing happened in Ireland. I'm not comparing it, but like after World War II, oh, sorry, World War One, a lot of the Irish soldiers who were under like UK, that whole of Ireland was under UK rule at that point. 
And a lot of these soldiers fought for king country and all that shit. And then when they got back, they got treated like shit. And they're yeah. like, why are we putting up What's this? For? What the yeah. fuck? Let's get our own country back. And then that's where the conflict started. They So they were trained as soldiers. So they were just normal yeah. boys. They were trained as soldiers. So they took all that training and used it to form their own militia to overthrow the UK government. And that's how the IRA started. So it's interesting. Yeah, that's happening in a lot of countries now as well. But mm-hmm. for history. Mm-hmm. Oh dear. But, but that's really interesting. Yeah, I, I def- definitely recommend having a watch of the movie. Yeah, I just think that Christopher Lee is very, very sexy, even if he's got like a long beard and stuff. He's just mm, six foot one. And watch it for that and for other reasons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think he does a really good job um, as as a monk. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think without Lee. It probably wouldn't be as good a film as it is if it was someone else playing him. And <laughs> but it's just classic Hammer. Basically, they camp it up. It's very colourful. He wears like really. I don't think Rasputin would wear that, but he wears like a bright pink kind of or magenta silk gown and things like that <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> and he's very opulent. Um, but yeah, he's. I just. I just love Christopher Lee so much. Um, I like that he uh, wears silk mm-hmm. gowns because that just brings our entire hammer chat. Oh, there's a scene in the movie that's quite funny as well, where there's <laughs> the so people go to him to get treatment off him, like women and stuff like that, and he, when he's living at this doctor's house and it's got a bit of comedy in it because there's one scene where there's like a kind of fat woman who's scoffing sweets. And she's waiting in Rasputin's surgery, demanding to see him and receive treatment. And he comes out with a line and he goes, and you shall have it, ma'am. Stop eating like a pig and take more exercise. (laughs) (laughs) So so (laughs) so it's quite funny. Um, Lee, I think in the movie, he's... He, he always, I think when he's in a movie, like even if it's shit, I'm sure he, he still tries his best to make it better with his performance. And he comes across as a really kind of, he always comes across quite powerful. I think it's just the way he is, though. It's his, He's got a really deep voice. Like, uh, yeah, it's not like, yeah, it's very, very, yeah. I don't even know how to describe it. It's just, it's just really cool. That's why I liked him as Dracula as well, because he did have some, like, not in print, the Dracula, Prince of Darkness, he hardly speaks, he doesn't really speak much at all, which annoyed me. But in the first Dracula film, in Taste of Blood of Dracula, especially Taste of Blood of Dracula, he's really sexy in that, and he, he does talk quite a bit as the print, like, as Dracula, which makes him more, have a bit of more of a personality sort yeah. of thing. <laughs> I think that's the film that made me fall in love with him the most because he basically seduces this woman, uh, one of the daughters of the guy that brings him back, resurrects him from the dead. And she's just like, he doesn't actually, I think he maybe bites her once, but then she doesn't turn into a vampire, but she's just obsessed with him and she's just like lying about his grave and like lying on top of his coffin and things like that. And I was just like, oh, I wish that was me. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so yeah, that's Hammer Horror for you. Rasputin the real monk versus the film monk. So what do you guys think about it? I thought it was really interesting. I think I've always <laughs> kind of uh, also much like Christopher Lee, definitely thought that <laughs> had magical powers, but now I'm like, yeah, clearly not, but he's still a very interesting figure. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe he did, I don't know, because I think that's why there's so much mist here around him, because he had... Yeah, like, people just don't want this. Again, the whole, if you don't understand something, it must be magic. Magic, yeah. Yeah. 
But I think that he was, yeah, more like a cult figure, but I do think he genuinely believed in God and that he thought he was a mystic man, but he sort of chose his own way, like a cult leader does, and then thought, well... It's really culty. Yeah, and as usual, that he would basically take advantage of beautiful women and stuff, and but he had, but he had a family life and stuff for like ten years. I think he actually is basically like the creator of all cults because most cult leaders have a family or have a woman, Mm -hmm. and yeah, then they're very charismatic, which seems to be in this case because everyone wants to shag him. So. Because he's so charismatic, he managed to convince people to do stuff. And yeah, I think yeah. he genuinely just wanted the power because I, I don't think he would have went to St. Petersburg if he wasn't trying to get influence yeah. and get power or, or rise up above the peasantry. And do you know what? Fair play to him because he was born in a peasant family and he ended up advisor to the Tsarina. Okay, mm. he brought down the royal family as a result of that, but still. But yeah, <laughs> for a, a hero. That time he you know, managed to do well for himself. Yeah. He's like and the it, father of all cults. And, and, anyway, and, and he sort of did help. Well, he did help Alexei, even though it wasn't through magic. It was because the doctors were ignorant by giving him like aspirin because it was a, a blood thinner, which yeah. made him bleed even more. So he needed this, like the way for Alexei to recover is he needed this. That's what hemophilia is. It's when you start bleeding because your blood doesn't yeah. have the ability to clot. So it just continues to bleed. Yeah, it's like even the smallest cup worse. can be deadly. Yeah. Wow. So... Um, I guess Hammer Horror as well, just to end on the podcast, is still still there. It's still a company. They've recently made The Woman in Black with mm-hmm. Daniel Radcliffe. Not whatever film. films. Obviously they're not as like churning out as many movies as they did back in the sixties, but I'm really happy that, that Hammer Horror uh, brand is back and it's still is still there in some sort of capacity. Even though sadly Christopher Lee isn't there anymore. Aww. Yeah. I wanted him to live forever. Black was not a great film, though. I, must oh, I love Women in Black. Nah, I wasn't a fan. I think cause, this is probably my fault, though, but I just I couldn't see past Harry Potter like being on the screen. Yeah, <laughs> he really I couldn't see him as a father, you know, like a, he just doesn't seem like the type to have a wife and a child that he lost. I was like, I right. But he was still Harry Potter. He's always, yeah. Like he's just not. He doesn't know how to act to be anything else. So I think I would prefer if Hammer Horror came back. See, I was disappointed because I thought, oh, Hammer Horror's back. Are they going to start doing like all the the Dracula things and bring back the gore? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, that's it. That's um. This is the first episode of our se- new season. Um. Maybe I should have said that at the beginning, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we're on season six now because we try to do ten episodes per season just to split it up. Yeah. So are we still going to do the names out, uh, the topics out of yeah. that? Yeah, but will we Next do very up? quickly the listener comments? Oh yeah. Sorry, yeah, I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. Please. Go for it. Uh, okay. So <laughs> I've got. Two proper comments, a question. No, I've got one proper comment, a question, and two slightly mad comments. But I'll read them too. Nice. You know, comments are Where great. are they from? Uh, so Dimitri from uh, London. Don't know why I had to look that up, but you one of them is from London. Uh, so Dimitri from London said, "Our podcast is fascinating. He loves mythology, and thank you, thanks, oh, Dimitri. Thanks, Dimitri. We love you, and you're fascinating. Yeah, I love the name Dimitri as well." one of my favourite names. Chris from Preston said that he uh, thought that our 
podcast was about crystal meth. So. <laughs> <laughs> Easy mistake to make. Sorry, mate. Yeah, um, maybe you should go and find some crystal meth elsewhere. <laughs> elsewhere. <laughs> maybe watch uh, Breaking Bad or something. Yeah. I mean, he didn't say it was bad, so I'm assuming he still enjoyed it. But yeah, hopefully. <laughs> uh, Dieppe. Uh, who's also from London, said Jai Ho. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Which is a great comment to receive. Uh, Jai Ho to you too. Jai Ho. What does that actually mean? Happiness or something? Let's assume it means happiness. Yeah. Okay. Just happiness. And ages ago, Leslie, I realised that I saw these ages ago and then didn't ever say to you, uh, you said, does anybody want to ask us any questions? And Crystal Myth Superfan, Andy. Hi, Andy. Hi, Andy. Yeah. Uh, asked how we take our tea. Oh, I don't remember <laughs> seeing that. Uh, yeah, how I mean, I noticed tea? it and then didn't tell anyone, so that might be why. Oh. <laughs> uh, how do you take your tea, Yes. Uh, if it's black tea, I take it quite strong. I leave my tea bag in and then just a wee drop of milk. Um, but if it's other teas, then I just plain no sugar. Yeah, I'm about the same as Yaz. I like, uh, well, I'm one of those mad people that put the milk in first and then the oh, tea bag and then put it in the water. We have to defend you, what the hell? Uh, fuck off, that's like the proper way to do tea. It keeps it hot. It's not brewing. <laughs> you can't brew. <laughs> <laughs> I feel physically hurt by this comment. <laughs> I didn't realise that everything was going to gonna be so controversial. <laughs> I don't know, what have you done, um, you Andy? You've broken up the podcast. <laughs> You put milk first if you've already brewed the tea in a teapot because then it's already brewed. I know. I mean, this is like pretty bad as someone who studied who's got a degree in ceramics uh, that I never use a teapot. I just always just use the sort of mug tea. I I do like my tea strong. I don't like a lot of milk. It's just like a dribble of milk and no sugar. Sugar's poison because you can't taste tea. It's disgusting. Thank you. Mark? I had to I'm be myself. Not the same little bit of milk, and at the end, I actually smuggle tea into London because um, I bring back a big box of Scottish blend every time I go to Scotland. I have to bring. Yeah, you have to have back. it with Scottish water, so you need. No, it's the, just the tea down here. Shit. So yeah. But then when I it's went to your Scottish flat, you did serve me tea with Scottish bottled water, so I'm really appreciative. <laughs> of that give you I don't want manky London sewer water thank you very much for my tea so I have to use like like I've got like a water filler like a bit of, bit of filler see if I don't see if you make a cup of tea in London with just normal tap water you end up having this like layer of scum <laughs> it's so disgusting and it, it literally puts me off my tea so I know bad. we have some listeners in London and they'll probably just agree with it's, us they know what we're talking about <laughs> you can come visit and I'll make you a proper cup of tea proper brew so there you go, all of our listeners in London, several of whom were the people who left comments. You are invited to the house party. I hope, especially Dimitri. Okay, well, that's that. If you get any other questions, please feel free to leave us uh, a comment on our Facebook page. Um, we're yeah. also on Twitter. You can just look up Crystal Myth Podcast on Twitter and you should find us there, or it's podcast underscore myth. And like I say again, we have an email address, Crystal Myth Podcast at mail, M A I L dot com. Not mail as in a man, but mail as in through the post. Just thought I'd say that. Okay. So, topic for next week. Uh, Whose turn is it to pick a number? Me. Uh, could you please pick a number between 1 and 14? Ooh, I'm going to say 10. Oh, okay, so 
our favourite cray-cray thing that we want to talk about that is weird and insane. For example, that time that Leslie started telling us about Lords of Death, which is a fairly broad topic. Yeah, that's a weird one. <laughs> Say that again. So our favourite crazy thing that's ever happened that's just weird. For example, that time Leslie started telling us about Lords of Death. So Lords of Chaos. So this is Lords stuff that's happened to us. No, just like your favourite weird thing. Okay. Not mythological. Well, right. yeah. So you know like how to that story is true, but okay. yeah, your favourite sort of weird thing. Okay. Story. Okay. How do you think? I've had lots so, of weird things happen to me, but I just need to think about it. Do you like, want me to maybe talk about the Lords of Chaos then? And uh, you could do, yeah, because I think you just kind of vaguely mentioned it before and it sounded really interesting. Okay, I'll so. do that then. Right, this is sort of like a, um, an open forum podcast episode where you can pick any topic that you find of interest and then, yeah, we're not specific to one particular genre or mythological thing. It's open forum, open season. Yes. Yeah. So you can put, you put, just basically talk about anything you want. Pretty much. Yep. Talk about yeah. Talk about a thing. Talk about a story that you've heard that you think that we would that everyone else would find interesting. Yeah. Okay. I don't know what we're going to title that episode, Leslie. But yeah, I, I will think of something. It will depend on what we talk about. Well, why? Yeah, we yeah. could draw a title from whatever comes up within yeah. the podcast that True. we think would be appropriate or funny like fly shagging for instance maybe for this one <laughs> have you seen fly shagging fly porn that's a great episode title <laughs> hammer horror all right well that's quite a long one but um i hope you enjoy i mean i could spend all night talking about hammer horror um it's one of my passions i absolutely adore um, anything to do with Hammer Horror. It's really influenced a lot of like how I live my life and my style. And yeah, I don't know about you guys, but yeah, it's had a big, big impact on on my life growing up. So, I mean, the, the one film I watched this week had a big impact on my life. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm I'm a big fan. Yeah, I think I'm gonna go and watch the entirety of Rasputin uh, maybe mm. tomorrow and the Sister Hyde. In fact, all the films you've mentioned. I kind of want to go watch Anastasia as well now. Oh no, I fucking hate that. I fucking hate that cartoon. It's really offensive. I find it really, really, really in poor taste. Really poor taste. She got she got shot with her brothers and sisters and bayoneted in that basement. And to say that she survived and, uh, and make it into some romantic kids film, I find really, really poor taste. Yeah. I'm sorry. And he only fancies her once she wears a pretty dress. Yeah, and somehow her grandmother's still alive, which is fucking shite. In Paris. Yeah, no. No. It's no. She died. She's in the ground. Sorry. I'd rather they just made a cartoon about them all getting massacred in the (laughs) (laughs) Sorry if I would. If any Disney execs were listening. (laughs) And on that note, Bye. 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 Chris, so, man.